Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Jessica. And this week, um, we were kind of racking our brains with what we wanted to talk about. Um, so what we decided to do is basically, we're going to do a compare, uh, almost a compare contrast between two different worlds of art. So on my end, I'm going to be speaking about hip-hop. Jessica, what are you going to be speaking about? I'm going to be talking about ballet. I know, right? So, before we get into, um, like, the compare and contrast aspect of it, let's do a brief history of our connection with this particular piece of art. I'm going to start with you, as she terrifies me. <laughs> I know, I'm, in the, I'm in the hot seat now. Anyway, um, well, ballet for me, I feel like, as every little girl usually does, I took ballet lessons for a short period of time when I was very young, maybe seven or eight years old. And I always grew up watching the Nutcracker Ballet on television over the holiday season. Um, and I have had the opportunity, you know, as a teenager and as an adult to go see live performances of the Nutcracker as well. But I just really fell in love with a ballet probably in my college years just because I thought it was so interesting to see how this art form can tell a story without using words. Yeah. Um, see, I grew up, I was never introduced to ballet because my family was born in this century. So I grew up listening to hip hop. Um, and my history with it, I mean, my uncle kind of was the one to bring it into my home simply because I would spend time in his home and that's what he listened to. Um, and then my, my older brother got, uh, you know, got connected with it and I, I just kind of came down that pipeline. Um, and what kind of gravitated me toward it um, was honestly the lyrics, being able to connect with people telling a story with words um, but in such a creative way where you're almost sitting there going how is this possible how did they do this um, so we that's a brief idea of like our connection to the art form but let's kind of talk about um, that history of that art form right because history is kind of what makes um, the art right so it comes from the history. What, what, where, where does ballet come from? Well, I have a lot of books about ballet in my personal collection, but the book that I picked to highlight today is called Ballet Spectacular from the Royal Ballet, and it's actually for, it's designed for children to be sort of an introductory view. If you're new to the podcast, Jessica referencing a children's book is nothing new. I, I am equal opportunity when it comes to my reading material. So anyway, um, the first chapter is about the history of ballet, so we'll just kind of break it down into important parts here. Um, ballet started out in the 15th and 16th century in Italy and France in their royal courts. So ballet was initially just an art form that only like the kings and the queens and the courtiers or the nobility would have really had access or exposure to. 
Apparently we're really popular. Keep going. Yeah, um, I'm just getting a lot of messages right now. Um, so, because of the fact that they functioned within the court, they, um, they would have it set up so that the audience would kind of watch from a gallery and then the dancers would be kind of lower down on their own um, stage with lots of different elegant set pieces and costumes. Um, trying to think. Totally just lost my thing of thought. Okay, so let's see here. Oh, here's kind of an interesting note. At first, only men were allowed to dance in theaters, but in 1681, women were allowed to dance professionally too. And this is in France um, with the Sun King, Louis the... Is that the 14th, I think? Yeah. Yes, the 14th. Okay, we're good. So that would be like 1650s or so. Because he actually, um, he really enjoyed dance personally, so that's why he invested in it um, for that particular moment in time, I guess you could say. Um, so you see like the romantic ballets come along in the mid 19th century, things that are still performed today. I feel like Giselle is probably one of the most more well-known of those ballets. Um, let's see. And here we go, we get to like my favorite part of the ballet where it's really more classical in the late 19th century. And so instead of France and Italy, we also have Britain and Russia joining in on this cultural exchange of like, hey, we also really enjoy this art form. Because Anthony can tell you that like the Bolshoi is my very favorite ballet company. Um, yeah. I have, I just really enjoy it. Um, it's literally the same age as our entire nation here in America. Catherine the Great founded the Bolshevik Ballet in 1776, so lots of history. Um, and this brings us to like what I think of as like the big three, the Nutcracker, Swan Lake, and Sleeping Beauty. Like even people who might not have that much background with ballet, they, they might be familiar or have heard those terms before. Um, and then now like dance in the 20th century, you see it, um, it just really took like leaps and bounds from like, you know, 1900, 1918 up into where we are today. So the last hundred years or so, there was a lot going on because you're moving away from these, what I like to think of as like a, a ballet that tells a story into mm -hmm. now you get to see it transition into contemporary dance where, okay, there might not be a clear storyline going on. Um, you see people like Stravinsky putting together the Firebird um, so you have newer ideas, newer composers, the sets are changing, the costumes mm -hmm. are looking, you know, more like what we might see when we go to a show. Um, 
I, I, I guess that's kind of, if I had to sum up, I'm closing the book now so I don't drop it. If I had to sum up ballet in a nutshell, you could basically think of it as something that started exclusively for the noble court and then now has really spread into a, something that is much more widely available, but I think that for some, maybe the cost of a ticket to go to a show would be an impediment to getting to experience it. So there are also places where they'll take ballet performances into the park or into school classrooms, or they'll have nights where um, benefactors or sponsors have paid for certain tickets so that they can go that way. People who might not have the opportunity to can still experience it. All right, thank you. Um, so I was silent that whole time because I kind of wanted her to be able <laughs> to explain without me interjecting and interrupting. Um, so to kind of jump in, so the history of hip hop, like it really, I mean, based on the, the research that I've done, uh, it, it's really come from, uh, you know, you have uh, rhythm and blues and like jazz music, it kind of built off of that. Um, but it's almost the complete opposite with ballet because from what you're telling me, like ballet was for the elite, right? Like yes. hip hop is the opposite. Hip hop is music for the dude who has nothing or the family who has nothing. Like the people who pioneered hip hop, um, they started, it started, you know, it started really taking form um, in the early 70s um, when people used to take like their, their, their parents' music and the turntables and things like that. And they would, um, basically they would take the turntable and like use it as an instrument. So it's not just an instrument to play music, but it's an instrument to make music. And what they would do is they would blend like um, a loop of, of, of instrumental from their mother or their, their father's music and turn that into the instrument of what people would perform with. Um, so it really was like, hey, you don't have money for instruments, you don't have money for private lessons or to be introduced into this culture, let us create a way to entertain ourselves, but also to express who we are as a culture. Um, and that's why you have groups, uh, or not even groups, but you have individuals like uh, DJ Cool Herc, who used to, like I said, used to take old um, rhythm and blues and jazz records and, and um, uh, disco even, and spin these records, but do it to where he's creating his own sound and his own music um, and he would have block parties and just invite everybody to come together. Um, and then later on, you had the history of um, while the DJ is getting ready. So the DJ, you know, played the music um, on turntables and he would mold it and blend it and, and, and do, you know, basically make it into, you know, dance music. And you had what they call an MC or a mic controller. Um, and they would be on, on stage strictly to keep the crowd's energy up while the DJ is preparing something different. Um, and I was thinking about that because nowadays the roles are reversed. 
where the DJ supports the rapper. Back in the 70s, from what the, from the research I've done, it was the other way around. The, the headliner, so to speak, or the man you wanted to see was the DJ. The MC was essentially like the hype man. Just, hey, get your hands in the air, party, dance, have fun. And they started trying to be more creative. The MC would try to be more creative and, um, you know, come up with witty catchphrases that rhyme to kind of connect or, or to connect with the audience uh, to keep their energies up. And then um, you would have uh, this MC kind of call out another MC just out of fun. It was never malice. It was never in hatred or anything like that. It was strictly out of fun. And they would just have fun. Um, and that's where you hear these clever lines come into play. So, you know, ballet, that's where it's different is that was made by the elite for the elite. Hip-hop is by the common man for the common man. And to this day, like, it's meant to be shared by everybody, which is kind of cool. Um, but let's, let's go ahead, since we've kind of gone over some of the history... And obviously, this is a brief overview of history, right? Mm. We're not, we're not getting into like detailed dates and moments in time. Cause I could really, I could really go there, like, but anyway. Well, as you, <laughs> as you see, right? Like ballet, what started? You said the fifteenth and sixteenth century. Fifteenth and sixteenth century, whereas hip hop started forty years ago. You know, it, not forty years ago, in the seventies. So fifty plus years, you know. But there's a huge time gap. So, and that doesn't make one more superior than the other. What that does is it just makes, it, it's the evolution of music. Um, but before you and I got together, what was your, what was your impression of hip hop? Um, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to hip hop growing up. My mother was a, like she's still alive, so just saying was as like hey this is her training her background was as a classical pianist like that's what she went to college for she got a degree in music education with an emphasis in piano performance so like classical music that is really what was that's important and foundational to her whereas my dad's more of like a a jazz fan and a little bit of rock and roll and they both like the songs of the 60s because that was when they were growing up so that was music that was influential for them um and obviously like i listened to pop music a little from our current you know like the generation that anthony and i both share but um rap and hip-hop i just it was just not something that was prevalent in our household no and after getting to know your mom and the fact that she can't remember lyrics to the most simplest songs I can understand why she doesn't like hip-hop. It, it, lyrics are too complex. But, um, I mean, obviously, me growing up, I had already kind of touched on this. I didn't grow up with ballet or classical music of any nature. Uh, and the little bit that I heard, it, 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 like, it was, I didn't understand the technique, so I was bored. It just sounded like sound. Um, now that I'm a little older and, and I understand a little more of the technique it takes to learn how to play these instruments, 
or to do, you know, perform this music, like, now I can understand and go, wait a minute, there's something there, right? Um, so let's, let's, now that we're, you know, you and I have been married for a year, we've been together for, t uh, touching on four years, you've had way more experience with hip hop now, where, where do you lie with it now? There are still some, some albums, for lack of a better way to put that, it. That's the word. That I'm just like, okay, I really did not enjoy that. But it's usually if the language is very laced with explicit, explicitives, like, you know, music you don't want your kids listening to. Um, but then again, like, there... I feel like there are a lot of pieces where even if it might have a few swear words, I don't feel like it detracts from the song because mm -hmm. they're just using language that is how they would normally speak and talk and interact with one another. So that's like being true to themselves. Well, and that's a big part of hip hop. Hip hop is a lot of, I'm not going to put on a mask of who I am, right? So... Um, I believe it was, you know, I was telling you about it earlier, there was, a, you know, there was a period of time in music in general where you had, like, your street clothes, and then you had your, like, what you performed in, right? So when you hit stage, you usually dress up in, not a costume, but something resembling, like, we're all on stage and we're performing. Mm -hmm. uh, there were groups like NWA and, like, Run DMC, they went on stage in the same clothes that they wore you know on their everyday life because they were like we want to be who we are on stage as much as we do in person so we're gonna go ahead and put that together and that's another thing that i've always connected to is the fact that the dude on stage looks like me he dresses like me uh he speaks like me kind of from, from the same area I don't have to feel separated from them simply because of their status. Whereas like with the ballet and opera and theater and just the classical world in general, um, they only have a few live performances throughout the year. It's not like you can just go to a concert or a performance in yeah. every city all year long. Well, yeah, and, and we had already talked about it. It's by the elite for the elite. like. It's meant for them, and and you and I have had this discussion so many times where it's like, no, we're, like they want to keep those doors closed. Cause it's basically like, I want to say maybe September slash October to I don't know, February maybe. February maybe March, like that's the window where I can be like, hey, I can go see a ballet. So I'm like, I don't know what to do during the summer. I guess I'm just gonna have to watch it on DVD. But yeah. that stems back to. Kind of like the pre-TV time mm -hmm. where, you know, people still had like horses and carriages and stuff. And like they would plan, again, like you said, the elite or the nobility or people who had wealth and means would be like, okay, this is the season. This is when we get to go. We get to socialize with one another. You can, um, people would broker like engagements between their children and the theater and ballet and opera gave them an opportunity to basically kind of go on dates with one another, just be in the same area while being chaperones. So mm -hmm. for a certain, like he said, for a certain class of people, this was a part of the routine of their year. Yeah. And, you know, and, and again, I didn't grow up understanding this. Um, 
And again, you and I have had so many discussions on the the classism of ballet where I'm like, I don't understand why they would, you know, this is only for these people, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I did grow up in a time where hip-hop was like, and hip-hop's had its moments, right? Like, you know, I could tell you in person, you know, um, because I'm a white dude, like, there's certain artists that, like, made me feel like I didn't belong because I wasn't of, you know, I wasn't African-American, I wasn't this race or that culture or whatever. I felt like the now outsider, but then you have somebody who is able to come in like it's 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 still allowed for all people um but that's just that individual um where you and i have had the discussion with ballet where i'm like why do they keep kind of shutting the doors on the people who have a little less um and this is not to start any kind of huge topic but like it's the idea of like i wouldn't fit in with them well and i was telling him too that you have to look at who's funding the ballets, who's putting up the money that they need for costumes, for shoes, for a venue, for travel expenses. A trainer, a writer, like... For all of these, because it's not just the dancers, but all of these people who are involved in making the productions happen, the people who are financing those are going to want to see the same type of material that they're used to, so that's why you might not always see newer productions being put on and um yeah it's it really comes down to if you have the money if you can get things financed then that's what people are going to see and the people who are going to be paying to see it are Are going to are the same mold Mm -hmm. yeah so with that being said we've kind of talked about the history of the art form that we've chosen do you have any questions as it pertains to hip-hop Well, I feel like an important distinction, it's not really a question, but a distinction to make is that rap, so rhythm and poetry, rap is the musical art form, and hip-hop encompasses the entire culture, whether it's music or the outfits that you wear or graffiti-style artwork. So could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so... So, like, what hip-hop encompasses yeah so and this is a huge topic because i i remember being junior high high school and even college where i would tell people yeah i I love hip-hop or do you like rap music i love hip-hop and they don't understand that like you said the culture is hip-hop so and, and culture being the way you live and the person that you are outside the stage as as well as on the stage and so with that you do have um the first of all i'm going to start with the dj the dj um or disc jockey as that's what it is called that's the individual uh who's on the turntables who's usually blending the music right so they'll take one sample of music and another sample of music and they blend them together um, I was actually on um, on Facebook, and I follow a few people um, on, on Facebook, and this lady was a DJ, uh, or she is a DJ, she was actually going live, and she was mixing music as people were requesting it. It was super fun to watch. Uh, so there are still people who are DJs now, like, 
And you really got to be careful because some people who claim to be DJs now, they're literally sitting behind a, uh, some turntables and they press play. And that's really all they know how to do. Like, they don't know the intricacies of it. Um, I mean, I don't, so I'm not going to act like I do. Um, but there's that. And then you have graffiti art. Graffiti art, um, it's not so much, I don't see it as much anymore. Um, but back in the 70s and 80s, and again, I wasn't alive during those times, so I really had to read on this. Like, you would find um, graffiti on uh, on uh, subways, on buses, on anything. And what it usually was is it was the artist um, giving a message. Usually it's their name or some kind of a tag um, that they want the world to see and it's their art that's why they put it on things that traveled so a lot of people can see it and they would have their own specific signature that when you saw that signature you know oh that belonged to this artist um and then of course you have the the the, the fashion of it all most of the time that's basically what the artist wears in their regular life mm -hmm. but there are a few artists who are like hey i'm gonna to take what I wear on a regular, um, but I'm going to kind of spice it up a little bit. I'm going to change it a little bit. But for the most part, they wear what they wear. I'm going to say year round and just it's part of who they are. Um, and that's that's really what hip hop was meant to be, was an expression of a culture that was kind of, you know, underground. And that's why they call it underground hip hop. Um because at the time nobody wanted to acknowledge this culture and so they had to kind of fight their way up and go no we are a legitimate thing so. but now i feel like every major city or metropolitan area is going to have its own i don't want to say brand of hip-hop but yeah. they're going to have their own distinct artists that are like hey this is where i come from so that's going to be reflected in my oh. art form and that's one thing you hear a lot in hip-hop right you hear a lot of people kind of bragging about where they come from, right? So you, when you hear, like, for example, I was telling you earlier, uh, when I travel to a city, so if I go to California, I know which artists I'm going to listen to. I'm going to listen to artists from California. So you've got, like, Tupac. You've got uh, Dr. Dre and NWA. You've got, I mean, and I'm probably missing a whole bunch. You go to New York, you're going to have uh, Biggie Smalls. You're going to have... Um, members of the Wu-Tang, you're gonna have DMX, like you're gonna have a lot of people. Um, you go to uh, Kansas City, Missouri, you've got Tech 9 uh, you've got um, Chris Calico, you've got a few other individuals in there, and you're right, like every, and the cool thing about it, and I know I'm missing like the Dirty South, like Atlanta, you've got uh, Ludacris and a few others, but what's cool about it is depending on where you are, in the country, hip-hop sounds different. New York and LA, their hip-hop sounds different because of, well, partially because the way they listen to it. New York, from what I've heard, is a lot of public transit, so you're gonna have it in headphones, so the sound's gonna be different than in LA where you're gonna be in your car. So, um, yeah, there's that difference. So, yeah, I mean, and that's the beautiful thing about it is you have all these differences and these different things um, that make it unique. Well, and then in the ballet world, in a similar way, I feel like once you reach a professional, 
level, you you sort of begin to identify with like, oh, I dance for a particular company, whether you're dancing in San Francisco or New York or places in Europe. I mean, there's ballet companies and again, pretty much every major city or metropolitan area is probably mm. going to have its own dance company that you can be a part of. Absolutely. Um, yeah, did we have any other topics we wanted to touch on when it comes to this uh, these art forms? I know we are going to do more parts to this, so this is not the end of this conversation. This is really just the beginning, um, but is there anything that we wanted to... Um, maybe just like one last little tidbit sort of question slash comment. So in ballet, Anthony and I have talked about the fact that there's usually only one male like superstar in a generation where whether it's Nijinsky or Varishnikov or Nureyev um, for hip hop it it seems like like do, do you have something similar or like generationally is there artists that stick out or are they just always kind of hard scrabbling to see who's going to be at the top well yeah, that's a good question. But before I go jump into that, like, so you were saying that there's usually one male in this whole culture of ballet. Explain to them, for those who don't know, why that is. Um, in ballet, as an art form, there are a lot of men who are within a ballet company. But for the most part, when you're looking at ballets that are being staged, a lot of them will have... A female character who is a lead or a principal and a male dancer who is a lead or a principal and then there's the corps de ballet which is generally just women mm -hmm. so in ballet again like looking at I don't know as much about Nijinsky but definitely Barishnikov and Nureyev uh, Rudolf Nureyev was a dancer who was popular in the 1960s. He partnered with a woman named Margot Fontaine, and he's most known for the fact that he defected to the West in, I think, 1963. Um, but at that time, the ballet world went crazy. Like, they just went nuts. People were lined up around the block when they knew that he was going to be performing somewhere just to get tickets to see him because he was so dynamic in his dancing so like he mm -hmm. in the ballet world was truly like a rock star or a superstar and with 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 the hip-hop culture um there's a little bit in my opinion i i'm not speaking for everybody uh or the whole culture um but i've definitely there are those who kind of if we had like a hip-hop mount mount rushmore <laughs> they would be put on there um, so you'd have people, um, I mean, Curtis Blow might be one of those dudes you put on there, uh, who I believe was prevalent, prevalent in the eighties, maybe even the seventies. Um, and you know, he had a whole, like he had his time. Uh, I mean, and then you have, you know, Dr. Dre would be on there for many people. Um, you may have Nas from New York. Uh, actually he's from... Uh, come on, I know this. Anyway, I'll think about that. Um, but yeah, so you have Nas, you have Biggie, you have Tupac. These are the names you hear as far as like legends. Um, 
I can't say that it's like a generational thing because you again you have to realize again hip hop started in the seventies. So you have the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousand, two thousand tens, and then now we're touching the twenties. Um, and some of these like Tupac, Biggie were in the same generation. Mm-hmm. Nas, Jay Z, same generation. Um, and Nas and Jay Z, they actually had a feud for many years, and now they've they've squashed that, as far as I know. And um, so when it comes to men, you really you you can say that there is right. You can say okay, there was there was Nas, and then after Nas came this person, and then after the you know, um, but like there's in my opinion, the women like those are the ones that's like. She was prevalent for her generation because of this. And the reason that is is because opposite of, of ballet, it was a female dominated act, you know, art. this is a male dominated. So the women have to scrap, not physically, but like really have to be good to get noticed. Um, so you have like Queen Latifah, right? Who's like, she came out of the gate and she was, again, just, she was rough. Meaning, she didn't take crap from anybody. Um, you have uh, MC Light, who just had wordplay that you were like, wait a minute, I gotta listen to that again. You had groups like Salt and Pepper, who, you know, Salt and Pepper and TLC, they kind of, yeah, they kind of just, they hit the mainstream, and they also talked about things that nobody was talking about. That's where that song, let's talk about sex, baby. Like, that's a TLC song. You know what I mean? Like, and they were, they were barely in their 20s when that song came out. Mm -hmm. So, they're young girls going, hey, we're going to talk about this thing called sex. And, you know, and nobody was doing that from a woman's perspective. They were all hearing it from a men's perspective. So, um, yeah, there are those who stick out and you're like, we need to put you know put some eyes on that, and that's what happened, um, and that's even happening now. Because when Anthony and I, when we first got together, when we first really started dating, because he had like zero knowledge of ballet, or maybe like a like a how much like what percentage uh, point would you give yourself? I would, ba- I would barely put it at like a five. Okay, we'll uh, we'll we'll be generous. We'll give you five percent. Five percent knowledge of ballet. I knew. Diddly squat. So, like, where, where do you think my knowledge of hip-hop was when I met you? Would it, would it be, like, a 2%? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll, be, I'll, I'll give you the 5. All right. So, we're going we're, we're gonna to let you know that, yeah, we were both at 5% of each other's, like, knowing about the thing that just really, like, we're passionate about. This is, like, our hobby. Like, it's what we, it's what we just really love. So, we just wanted to be able to share that with you guys as far as, giving you sort of a, uh, so today was a crash course in the history of ballet and the history of hip hop, but please reach out to us. Let us know if you like this concept, if there's any different artists you want us to mm. feature or cover, cause we really want some feedback Yeah, or at least I do. I want feedback. <laughs> yeah. Next week, what I want to talk about, and I'm going to actually announce it here so that we kind of hold ourselves to that standard. Um, I want to continue this discussion, but I want I want you to pick out like either five dancers or a handful of dancers or um, yeah, dancers or performers. We'll go there. Mm -hmm. I'll pick out a handful of performers, probably about five, and we can talk about the craft of what it takes to do what they do. 
Oh, I'm definitely, I'm so excited for that. That's going to be great. Because I feel like if we're just like, yeah, next week we're going to continue the discussion and don't have guidelines, it's going to fall off the rails. Because we're going to be like, well, what do we want to focus on? So that's what we're focusing on. You pick a handful of performers. I pick a handful. And we, we're not going to compare them, but we're just going to say, this is how they perfected their craft and what that looks like. Because I, I have a feeling, especially with ballet, people think it's easy. Oh, no, it's um, incredibly difficult. I mean, you've heard that phrase, like, this isn't ballet, right? This is tough work. You know, that kind of thing. I hear that. I mean, you hear that in football. You hear that, like, especially in wrestling. I hear that all the time. <laughs> I'm watching WWE, and they're like, we're doing man's work. This isn't ballet. And I'm like, have you tried ballet? Based on what I've heard, like, it's, it's a pain in the butt or on the feet. Um, <laughs> but... So that's what I want to do, because I think hip-hop, a lot of people have this misconception of like, oh, they're just throwing words out there that rhyme, this is easy. We're going to talk about, is it difficult, is it hard, how do we do it? I feel like both art forms require an intense amount of, I want to say, almost daily discipline. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about next week. So, we're going to take a quick break. After this, we're jumping into Acts. I believe chapter 15. I think it's 15. So we're going to take a look at that. So come on back with us after a word from our sponsor. This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. This is the section of the podcast where we go ahead and go through scripture. We're currently going through Acts chapter 15. I hope that you're reading along with us. I'm really excited for this chapter because it's got, it's got a lot there for us to look into. But before we do, let's go ahead and take a brief look into Ch- Acts chapter 14. Alrighty, here is my recap of Acts chapter 14. We see Paul and Barnabas at Iconium. And they're there for quite a while. Um... They performed signs and wonders, but they divided the city because you had the apostles who were supporting them and then the Jewish people who just were not on their side, so much so that they plotted against them and they wanted to cause them serious harm. So they went to Lystra and Derby instead. Hopefully I'm saying that right. D-E-R-B-E. Um, I'm going to say yes. And then in Lystra, they see a man who's lame he can't walk and they speak over him like Paul basically says stand up to your feet and walk and he's able to do that and the crowd is just so fired up by this they the priest of Zeus actually come and they bring bulls and they want to sacrifice to them like they they wanted to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul they called is it Hermes h-e-r-m-e-s yeah let's go with that um and they're like no like we serve a living god and he made earth and heaven and so that's who you should be focused on like um sorry my brain just totally went on a different tangent anyway bring it back <laughs> welcome back um actually the the jews from antioch and iconium they won the crowd over and they they hurt Paul quite a bit. They thought he was dead. 
but fortunately the disciples were able to bring him back to health and then they go back to Antioch and then we can pick up for chapter 15 um, where they have people coming from Judea to Antioch and teaching the believers there. So that's where we're going to pick it up at. Alright, so let's take a look at Acts chapter 15. Um, so it starts off uh, basically so basically you had this kind of division, right? You had this division of um, the Jews and the Gentiles because the Gentiles were starting to not only believe in Jesus, uh, but were being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And um, in that, you had some people actually teaching the Gentiles who are not Jewish um, that they had to follow these uh, traditional Jewish customs. More importantly, they had to be circumcised. Now, circumcision uh, goes all the way back to, I want to say, Mo not Moses. Yeah, the Moses? law of Moses, yeah. Bam, the law of Moses. Basically, it was um, God um, asked him and all of his uh, family and, and all of the tribe that he belonged to or who followed him to circumcise all the men. Um because this is, correct me if I'm wrong, after the people had come up out of Egypt. Yes, this is almost, I think it was immediately after. Like right after the Red Sea, um, the, all the men got circumcised. Um, I couldn't imagine doing that as a full-grown man. Not something I want to experience. But, so the Gentiles were being taught, You have, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a part of our faith, you have to follow this. Because they wanted, the Jewish people wanted them to adhere to the law of Moses. And in their minds, having them be circumcised was a way for them to do that. Absolutely. So, basically at that time, you had what became was the first church council. Before we get into that, would you mind reading that from your, from your translation? Uh, where do you want me to pick it up? Uh, in the did you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I get it. Okay. So the translation that I use for those of you who might not be aware, I read from the NIV Adventure Bible, the Polar Exploration Edition. It is marketed at the bottom here as the number one Bible for kids, but I just really enjoy it. I like how you point that out every episode. <laughs> I do. Every single. So if you're brand new or you've been <laughs> listening since episode one, she reads from a kid's Bible. We get it. Move on. <laughs> so my Bible has different little... Blurbs? Yeah, like a little, just an inset here. And this is a did you know. And it says, what is a church council? Talking about Acts chapter 15, verse 6. It says, a church council is a meeting of the leaders of the Christian church. Mm -hmm. Acts 15 tells about the first church council. The leaders met to decide whether God wanted the non-Jewish people to live like Jewish people. Or non-Jewish Christians, rather. They decided that they could not require non-Jewish Christians to obey all of the laws of the Jews. Okay. So, the reason why I had you read that, and thank you, by the way, but the reason why I had you read that is because I, I feel like a lot of people uh, outside the church or who end up leaving the church 
of today, um, they have this kind of misconception of what a council should be or, or organized religion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and why do you think that is? What is your experience with this before we dig further into the scripture? Well, because you and I are always trying to take the Bible, looking at it within its historical context, and then say, okay, that was great for that time period, but what can we glean from it? What can we learn from it? What can we apply from the Bible to our lives today? Mm-hmm. And I, Anthony and I were talking about this earlier. We both feel that kind of looking at the health of a church to see if it's got a good pulse or a good heartbeat, so to speak, is to look at how transparent the leadership is with its congregation. Mm-hmm. And this goes into the councils. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So, from, my, from, from people that I've had the ability to speak with and talk to, they tend not to like council because they feel like these people, the council, are just going to kind of bend the rules to fit what they want. As opposed to what's right. Um, and that's not everybody. I'm not putting that on everybody. But, and I understand that completely because um, it reminds me a lot of a, of a government, right? You have, uh, you know, one person who's in charge, the head pastor maybe, but you have other people who might speak to the pastor and go, okay, here's what's going on, here's the situation. Um, but here's why counsel is a good thing. First of all, that is biblical. The, the, the Bible speaks on us giving good counsel and also seeking counsel. So it just makes sense that the church that we belong to would have a council of leaders where they can consult with themselves and really, like you said, make sure the church is functioning properly, make sure um, you know things are being done right and not just done for selfish wealth. Uh, and make sure the church is, is pulse is for people. And this council actually wrote a letter to the Gentile believers that we'll look at. We'll more look at we'll look at that in a moment. That's actually really important. Um, but so I'm I'm thinking through that and I go, okay, a lot of times when you seek counsel, many different topics of discussion are gonna be brought up and that's gonna cause reflection. And that's good because when people are able to reflect, they're able to grow. And I honestly believe that when churches or church leaders are able to reflect and bounce ideas off of each other, they're able to grow not only individually, but as an entire council, and the church is able to flourish. If one man just led the church, the church is going to grow, but eventually it's going to plateau because he's not growing. Well, it's like for us within our marriage, yes, we have a good marriage, we have a good foundation, Amen. but we still go to counseling every six months, and I'm sure if we felt like, hey, we needed it more than that, then we, we, would, we would do more. make arrangements to do that. And even outside of our, our, our marriage counseling, you and I sit down on a weekly, how are you doing? How's everything going? Is there anything we need to work on, talk about, deal with? And that's what counsel is. Uh, especially in this case. So we have this division, excuse me, in the church of Jews and Gentiles and this argument of being circumcised. So in, in biblical fashion, let's get the council together. Let's talk. 
Let's put it, you know, let's see what's going on, the, the, the pros, the cons, and everything in between. Um, would you mind reading, I believe it's, read what uh, Peter said about, you know, to the council, please. Uh, starting at verse... Chapter 7. Verse 7, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He mm -hmm. did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors had been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. Here's why I like that, right? He spoke out, and I'm sure there were other people in that council, uh, but he spoke out as the voice of reason basically to say, you know what? We are not picking these the 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 we are not picking the Gentiles. God has picked the Gentiles. God has chosen them as well. God has proven um, that he wants them by giving them the Holy Spirit, the same that he's done for the Jewish nation. So with that, it's basically him saying, you know what, they are different. They have different customs, they have different traditions, they have a different background, but they're accepted and loved by God, the same that we are. So he's encouraging them to accept uh, who these men and women are. Uh, why, why is that so important? I feel like it's important because for so long in the history of the Jewish people, they had been God's one and only exclusive chosen people with a capital mm -hmm. C. Like... This people group coming all the way from Abraham when God called him out of the land that he'd been living in. And you had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and this whole family of faith. Like they had a very rich heritage that said God has chosen us. God is on our side. This is how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. So with the inclusion of the Gentiles, of the fact that Jesus went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles to spread his message... Now that means that they're not as exclusive anymore. That God is sharing mm -hmm. his favor with people who they, in their minds, might not see deemed worthy enough to have it. But the great thing is Peter is willing to look past that and say, he didn't say he agreed. He's simply saying, this is what God has chosen, so I'm going to follow suit. Um, and, and, and what happens is we see the rest of the council eventually come around to saying, okay, yes, this is what we're going to do. And they decide um, that they're going to write a note or a letter to the Gentiles who are kind of in one area. Um, and it, it was their way of, of building that bridge, right? And... They're basically going to say, so what, let's actually, let's go over that because so I don't want to. The council basically had said like, okay, because there were some things that were troubling us, 
We're sending Barnabas and we're sending Paul. And here's the things they're also sending Judas and Silas. Starting in verse 29, here's the things that they're like, okay, here's some problem areas that we've identified that we want you to abstain from or stop. To abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So they said mm. you would do well to avoid these things. So basically, they're like, hey, we feel like you're doing a good job. We know that you've got the Holy Spirit. Here's just a few details that we just want you to take under consideration to help you grow in your faith. And this actually led to you and I having a discussion about denomination. Yes. We talked about the fact that, as a general rule, Christianity, there's so many different iterations of it. You have Catholics, you have Protestants, and within Protestantism, you have a lot of different other subsets as well. Um, there's also the Orthodox Church. But across the board, we notice a lot of similarities. Like, I don't have a Catholic background. Anthony doesn't have a Catholic background, but he has been to some Catholic services. So why do you, you could go so ahead and share about I've that? I've been to a few Catholic services. Um, usually I was invited by a friend or somebody I, was, I knew at the time. And so um, when I went, I didn't know what to expect, but I sat down uh, and I usually tried to have a discussion with, with the individual beforehand. Um, but here's what I noticed. So actually, before I go into that, our church, you and I, we go to a church where basically you show up, you can talk to some people, you basically sit down Worship is two, no, usually we got three to four songs. Mm -hmm. At least three songs. And they're very modern songs. They're not, um, you know, they're, they're not really like hymnals or anything like that. So they're very modern. And then you hear the message from the pastor. You may have communion in, in there somewhere. Some announcements. Some announcements. You go home on the way out. You, you know, hey, have a great day. You might um, connect with some friends after church or whatever. Catholic Church, based on my understanding and, and my experience, it's very regimented, right? Like, at, you know, you start service at this time. Here's the steps on what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how you're going to act. Um, but, and that there's nothing wrong with those differences. That was the, that was great. Like... I didn't understand them, but I'm sure if I if I studied into it, I would learn it. Um, but, so basically what you're saying is that the Catholics follow a liturgy, so they have an order of service where they have particular moments where you might stand or sit or say a certain prayer. Absolutely. And that's kind of the guidelines for how your worship experience is going to go. Yeah, and... I listened to the pastor preach, and I was like, okay, I don't know what to expect beforehand. I was, I was kind of curious, and so uh, I listened to him preach really carefully, and the preaching wasn't much different than what I would hear at our church. It's not as long. I think they only be 15 minutes. Again, because it's very regimented, they might have 20, whereas our pastor is 35 to 40-ish. Again, I'm you know, spitballing on that, but, um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't anything crazy, it wasn't anything 
totally out of the ordinary. It was just, here's the message, here's the scripture, and God, you know, my message on it, here's how it connects to today, and let's move on to the next thing. Well, and the thing that we talked about, too, is even in the midst of all of these different denominations, there are also going to be a lot of similarities as well. And my focus, 100%, is always, is Jesus the center of this church service? Is not just Jesus as a teacher or a prophet, but I'm talking about Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, uh, the one who offers salvation when you believe in, in Jesus. And I do have to say, based on what I know, I have to put that you know out there, based on what I know, most of these religions, that's what they follow. They say Jesus is who the Bible says he is, but we have difference of opinion on what I'm going to call supporting details. Because Anthony and I talked about the fact that, at least from our understanding, from the Catholic perspective, they feel that the Catholic Church was kind of the original church. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was really funny because I went to um, a church service with a friend of mine, and they were very much, because I think they did go to a Catholic church, so they went to one of my services, um, and they were kind of shocked at how the church that I went to at the time, it was very joyful. People were happy to see you. The music was praise music. I mean, it was praising Jesus. Uh, I guess it, the church they go to, is, I don't know if it's with all Catholic churches, but I'm assuming it's pretty close. Church is a very somber thing mm-hmm. because it's, I'm sinful, I'm broken, I'm... Well, and they also, it's for them, it's the reason it is more solemn, as you might say, is because they want to be able to take time to focus their hearts on what God is going to be saying to them. And also that that opportunity of being able to have a corporate worship experience, mm-hmm. that is more, it's like, hey... I have a chance where I know that I've sinned and this is a chance for me to ask for forgiveness of sins so that I can be ready to partake in communion and that Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Uh, And again, I had no issue with that. And they had no issue with my church. They were just really shocked. They're like, why is everyone like happy? And, And I'm like, well, it's church. Like if anywhere to be happy, it's here. If there's anywhere to be sad, it's here. If you're gonna cry, do it here because you're going to find support. Um, like, and that's what we're seeing with this scripture, right? We are seeing uh, the Jewish leaders or the Christians who you know come from a Jewish background, basically saying, "Yeah, we know you're gonna have differences. First of all, keep Jesus at number one, and then abstain from these other things and follow Jesus." Do we want to talk about the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas? We'll get to there. To kind of wrap up the chapter? We, or you, okay. We will get there. Do you have anything else to say um, on, the not division of church, but how denominations kind of grow, or at least how it seems to grow? Um, again, Anthony and I, we do a lot of just prep work for this where we're sitting on our couch just kind of tossing ideas back and forth of like hey what do we really want to focus on and we did sort of go off a little bit on this tangent of like okay here's the church today but 
the importance of having a council and having that accountability and just transparency in leadership, I feel is so important. Absolutely. Um, now, this actually is going to tie with the end of the, the chapter. Mm -hmm. So let's go over the end of that chapter. So now we see um, Paul wants Barnabas to go and visit the believers in the towns where they had preached the word and see how they were doing. Barnabas had wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him. So, um, they had a, the, like, the disagreement between them was so deep that they actually parted from one another's company. So Barnabas takes Mark, and they sail towards Cyprus. But Paul takes Silas, and they go, um, and they go through Syria. So, and I actually love this this piece of scripture. We read it, and my mind kind of opened up because I was like, okay, so many times in church culture, we feel like we can never disagree. We always have to agree. We always have to see perfectly eye to eye, and that's where like arguments happen, and that's where hatred builds up. They had a disagreement, and they like it said it was heavy. It was a big disagreement to the point where they actually separated ways. Now, does that mean they have lost respect for one another? I don't think so. The Bible doesn't indicate that, at least not the chapter that we're currently on. Well, it seems like they were trying to pick someone younger in the faith to see who they were going to mentor, correct? Along this next stage. That seems about right. Again, the Bible doesn't specifically say that. Um, but it's not like... Basically, what they're saying is, hey, we have a difference of, a, of opinion on this topic. Uh, and it was about a person. It, it was about... Um, because, basically, Mark had a history with them where he was unreliable. For whatever reason, we don't know. But... That's why Paul didn't want him to come along, but, um... Barnabas? Barnabas. <laughs> why do I always want to say the other name? You always want to say Barabbas I every time. I don't know time. why, but... <laughs> I almost said it again. Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was basically like, hey, I'm going to move forward with him. I still think there was a respect between Barnabas and Paul. It was just, hey, we disagree, we're going to go our separate ways. So it is possible to disagree with somebody in the church without uh, an assassination of character, without breaking them down. But here's the piece that I wanted to focus on more. It says that they split up. This is the very end of the chapter. Uh, Paul chose Silas and departed, having, uh, having been commended by the brothers to uh, the grace of the Lord. As he went through uh, Syria and Sicilia, I think is how you say that, strengthening the church. So, I want to focus on that strengthening the church. So, what we see here, yes, they both went their separate ways. And I have a feeling that both of them were, did their part in strengthening the church. Because they both went to two different locations. So, if, if they're both preaching the gospel... Um, then that means God is working in both areas simultaneously, which means that church is going to grow. What are your thoughts on that? 
I feel like church growth is an essential part of not only spreading God's word throughout the world, which is one of the things that we're, do I want to say mandated, commanded, told to do? Commanded would be the word I think (laughs) you're looking for. But it also, like, where there is a strong local church, there's also a stronger community there because people have a place where they can come together to be in community with one another in a place where it is safe for them to ask questions, for them to grow in their faith, for them to just have that feeling of, I belong here. Yeah, and and the truth is, the reason why we have so many different churches, we have people all over the world with different personalities and different um, areas of creativity. So the church is supposed to look different. If the church you grew up in was the same church that everybody grows up in, we would all look, act, and be the same. But in this way, we're able to express our differences, but hopefully still, still acknowledge and live for the same God, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the most important because I think too many times we put the supporting details at top and we're like, oh, this person doesn't believe in this topic that I believe in, they're no longer a Christian. Well, I don't know if you've had personal experience with this, but I've seen times where, um, again, because the church that I grew up in, we kind of rotated pastors. So we only had the same pastor maybe for four or five years at a time. Um, Where people, they could get in disagreements with the pastor or with one another, and they'd be like, well, that's it. I'm never coming back to this church again. Yeah. And, And I've seen or I've heard stories of people leaving the church, and I'm talking about the big church, simply because of a disagreement with somebody within the church. Well, I feel like, okay, if you have a disagreement with someone within the church, you can either take a step to resolve it, or you can walk away, but does that mean you have to walk away from church entirely? No. Yeah, like, they don't, like, I had a friend, um, I'm not going to say his name, but I knew him up in Flagstaff, and um, the, 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 we were going to a um, campus ministry because we were both college students. And they, every once in a while, this particular ministry would allow people from the congregation to come up and give like an encouraging, encouraging word or encouragement to, to the congregation, right? But in order to do that, you would basically just give a brief, like, synopsis or idea of what you're going to say to one of the pastors, right? Mm-hmm. And they would, on the spot, go, okay, this does line up with God's word, it does not, whatever, and they would let you go. Well, he actually went up to share something, I don't remember what it was he wanted to share, and they wouldn't let him go up. Now, granted, he was one of those people, he tried to divide the Bible. What I mean by that is he took what he liked, he took what he didn't like, he threw away what he didn't like, he only took what he liked. Does that make sense? So it's like, oh, I like the part where God blesses, you know, blesses you for being faithful, but I'm not giving 10% of my income. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those kind of things. And he was very, very much one week he was all about Jesus. Literally the next week it would because his car broke down 
he was, God forsakes me. So he just wasn't a very steady level. He wasn't individual. very steady. So when he went up to the to the pastor and kind of whispered into his ear, here's what I'd like to say, or here's what I feel like I need to say. And the pastor, I think their, exa- their exact reasoning was, hey, we like your idea, but think through what you're going to say before we let you up. Because they knew he kind of rambled when he spoke. He took that very offensively, and he was borderline never going to come back. And knowing his personality, he never would have stepped foot into a church again because of this interaction. Um, And unfortunately, I don't have tabs on him anymore. I don't know how he's doing. But that does happen Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, And sometimes, you know, it can be for the best to to either make a decision as a family or on a personal level to be like, okay, I am going to go to a different congregation. Yeah. And sometimes it's like when you and I decided we were going to go to the church that we go to now, it wasn't any ill will to ill will at all toward the church that I had been going to because I had grown up there. It was just because we were thinking, you know, we were getting engaged. We were thinking about getting married. We wanted to be able to both go to church at the same place. And not only that, we needed a church that catered to young families. Um, and the church that you you had gone to, let's be honest, they didn't they they don't they didn't cater to young families because they don't have a lot of young families anymore. So you can leave a church and it's not on malicious or bad terms. Absolutely. So I just uh, wanted to clarify that. Yes, my here's my last. Um, I'm going to say piece of advice for lack of a better term. If you have a disagreement with somebody in the church, it could be a leader, a friend, a family member, whoever, um, it's okay to leave the church. Do not leave Jesus. Like, stay focused on Jesus, connect with another church or another group, and let that be your focus so you can continue to grow in your faith. Because if you leave the church and don't get reconnected, you're eventually going to lose touch of your faith and Jesus in general. It's very difficult to worship Jesus in isolation. Because like Anthony was saying, there's so many different denominations now. There's really churches. I feel like there's a church out there for just about everyone who's looking for a church. And because of that, I will honestly say when you pick a church, make sure... If you're looking for a true Christian church, make sure Jesus is at the center of that church. Does that make sense? Make sure they teach from the Bible and not just from any self-help book. Now, if you are a non-believer and you're thinking none of this applies to you, I want you to really think through what we're saying. I honestly believe it will apply to anyone and everyone. So... Is there any last topics or any last uh, mentions of this topic? I just always like to take a chance to thank our listeners for tuning in. It's so nice to just see that we are um, making an impact and we really hope that you're enjoying listening week after week. If you have any questions, comments, things you want us to know, please, as Anthony always says, feel free to hit us up. On Twitter, Instagram at BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com or Beautiful Feet Entertainment, go to BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and, yeah, you can get a hold of us there. Because so, we really have a lot of fun being able to put this podcast together for you. It's 
it's a really great time in our week to spend time together and getting to share things with you. So thank you so much for just being there with us on this journey. Absolutely. Is there uh, any major prayer requests that we need? Um, honestly, I just feel like more and more now there are so many people who are out of work that we could just pray that God will provide them for jobs that they need or just a way to stay economically secure during this time because we know that we're living in uncertain times, but we know that the God that we serve is going to take care of us, that he's the same yesterday, today, and always. Like, we just have to hold on to those promises in this time. Sounds good. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and um, we'll go ahead and sign out from there. Father God, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for the fact that even in the midst of our disagreements, you are there. You are working in our lives. Uh, I just lift up right now every listener who's on this podcast um, and every individual out there who may be out of work, who may be struggling through this time. I just pray that you would just put put your hand on their heart let them know that they are not alone um, and that there is a community around them I pray that they would get in contact with their local church or, or, or area where they could get assistance or could get help so that they could find the funds and the resources that they need Father God I just pray for our economy in this time because I know this is time of uncertainty which means it's a time for fear for many people. I pray that we would walk in faith and not fear, knowing that you are a God that provides as we wait for our economy to rebuild, to become what it needs to be. And I just really pray for all those who are sick, um, whether it's with the virus or simply something like the flu or just not feeling well. I just pray for healing over their hearts, over their minds, and then their bodies. And I pray that this moment in time would be what brings people to you, Jesus. I pray all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, we're going to go ahead. We're going to end it there. Have a great week and God bless. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com And do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.